Thank you, Ruben and Angie and Jessica and then all the crew in the back. So <clears throat> there's a ministry in India that I partner with. I usually go to India twice a year. And actually since starting this job, it's not because of the job, but because of COVID, I've not been out there yet. Um, since I started this job, I've not been back. So I'm hoping to do that soon. But I have lots of stories from India. And so the longer I'm here, the more fed up you're going to get with my India stories. They're going to keep happening. But um, there are some moments that stand out in my trips that usually because they do something ah, inside of me. Um, and so there are lots of standout moments. So anyway, one of my, my first trip out there to work with the main ministry that I partner with. Uh, I am in the car. We wake up in the morning. We're in the car and we're heading to these activities. And I'm asking the guy that I work with, Rufus, like, what are we going to do when we get there? He's like, well, we're going to go. There's going to be a church dedication followed by a bunch of baptisms. Uh, and then we're going to go and tomorrow we've got this conference and whatever. And I'm like, great. So we arrive at this tiny little village. We drive out into the middle nowhere there's this little white building uh, you can stick the other picture up um, there's this li- little white building so you can get an idea of the size of it right there with this little rib- ribbon across I arrived there's some people playing hand drums and singing and I'm like whoa this is intense and I'm, I'm super excited because I've not been in, in, in this part of India before I've not done this kind of ministry before and so I'm stoked and I'm looking and I look at Rufus and I look at Bob and I, I'm like so so how does this how does this go I'm doing this because the drums are going and you just start clapping along right <laughs> so <laughs> I'm doing it subconsciously because I'm, I'm back in the moment so I'm clapping along with the drums and I'm like this is super fun what's happening and and how does this go yeah church dedication goes first I was like so so who does the church dedication he's like you do and I was like, uh, what? I was like, do, like, what does this mean? He's like, so yeah, we'll cut the ribbon and then you'll say a prayer. And then if you can just preach about why a church building is important and, and what God wants to do through this church and just remind them about who the church is and what it is. And I'm like, how long do I have to prepare? He's like, you're going to do it right now. And so you can see the look on my face in the middle as I'm cutting the ribbon. That face is going, what the heck am I about to say? Uh, I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, so so we, we cut this ribbon I don't know how clearly you can see from there. That's a pair of kids' nail scissors. And that was not, and they wanted Bob and I to cut it together. So we got one hold, one hole each. And we're trying to do this to get that thing to cut. That took about 20 minutes. Um, <clears throat> so then, so that happens. Uh, I'm supposed to uh, unveil this plaque that goes on the wall. I'm supposed to pray over the building. Uh, I'm supposed to give this eloquent message about the role of the church. With, with, with no preparation at all. So that, that was exciting. Um, afterwards, that happens and it goes well. So after that, it's time for baptism. So they take me around to the back. I think I've shared this story about my embarrassing baptism moment. We're not going to relive that one right now. Um, but we go around the back. We do these baptisms. We, the baptisms are finished. We're back in the church. And it's like, okay, we want you to, to deliver this message. And so I speak and whatever. At the end of speaking, they bring in all the people that have been baptized. They line them up in front of me. And Rufus looks at me and goes, okay, give them names. And I was like, oh, what? He said, well, in our culture, they were Hindu and they have Hindu names. They've given their life to Jesus. So now they're new people. They went in the water. They died to themselves. They come out of the water, new people. So we give them new biblical names. So you're just going to go along the line and you're going to give them a new name. And I'm like, oh, this is kind of cute. They get this little, little like Christian nickname. And I was like, so just like, like, what do they do with this name? He's like, oh, this is the name they'll be known by forevermore. And, and, and I'm like, uh, 
okay. And so they, they bring the first couple up to me and I look at them and they're a married couple and they're old. So I'm like, Abraham and Sarah? And we go down the list and we name these people. And, I, and, I, and so they all get these new names and he makes sure they can say them and he teaches it to the community around them so that everyone knows their new names forevermore. You're now going to be known as Abraham and Sarah. And they're all smiling and everyone's clapping. And I'm thinking, oh, geez, what am I going to call the next person? Um, uh, everyone's called Mary because that's one of the, the names that they can pronounce easily. So, so I'm, <clears throat> I'm there and this is all going on and I'm looking, I'm like, really, this is the name they're going to have forever? Yep, yep, this is it. They'll never be called again by their old name. This is the name. They're stuck with it. Good job. Right? <laughs> so how would you feel right now if I was just like, Kathy, you get a new name right now and it is Dorcas. Uh, <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, that, that moment of craziness, that moment of confusion, the shock inside, that's embedded deeply in my heart. But you know, it's, it's less about the shock actually, and it's more about the power in that image. We do things here, baptism, you go in the water as Jessica, and you come out of the water as Jessica, and you're just kind of like, I'm a new person. Um, the power in the moment where they go under the water uh, as one name and they come up out of the water and they're given a new identity to ma- match this new person that they are in the eyes of Christ and the eyes of the community is powerful. You know, we're in this season in the life of the church where things are shifting. One of the questions that we've been wrestling with and talking with and presenting to you is this whole concept of the identity of our church is shifting. And the question that was raised is, is it an appropriate time to change the name of the church to match the new identity that God is giving us? So what I want to do over the summer um, is, is spend some time looking at this word that we have in mind to look at what it means biblically, to look at what it may mean and its significance for us as a church, to, to, to kind of solidify more the identity that we want to walk into moving forward. And so this is the word arise that, that we've been putting forward. There are these little booklets. If you've not seen this, um, they're on the information table. You can grab one. It has the, the, the values that we're walking in. It has some information about the word on the back. So you can table. But partly the whole concept of changing name and what happens in India when they re- rename people, it is firstly a marker of their new identity. Um, that is for them and for the community to see that their identity has changed. But in the renaming process, it's also every day when their name is called, it is a prophetic declaration over their life of the new identity that they're supposed to walk in. So as we look at renaming our church, we're saying that there's been an identity shift that we want to embrace, and we want a name that every time we say it is going to prophetically declare over our church who we are and what that means. In my personal reading, so I typically just read the Bible cover to cover, I'm in Nehemiah right now, and so this week as I was sitting in Nehemiah, there was a verse that just kind of grabbed me, and as I spent most of the week chewing on this verse, um, it felt like it was the appropriate place to go today. Um, So we're going to look at Nehemiah, we're going to look at uh, chapter 8, And with this, it's going to be a transition from Zechariah into um, what we're doing this summer. And partly why, if you remember, um, with the story of Zechariah, they've gone back to the, the people of Israel have gone back to the land. They're rebuilding the temple. They've been discouraged. As we get in, uh, Zechariah is encouraging them to complete the work. As you get into 
the book of Ezra in chapter 6, we see in Ezra 6.15 that the temple gets completed. Um, and, and so there's events that happen with Ezra and then following Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah are together and overlapping. But then Nehemiah has this moment where he's celebrating that the temple's been completed, but he's looking at Jerusalem and the wall is, has been destroyed and he feels like it's not enough to just rebuild the temple, we've got to rebuild the wall. And, and so uh, Nehemiah leads the people in the rebuilding of Jerusalem and reestablishing the wall around it. So at this point in chapter 8, the, the wall has been rebuilt. So if you like little uh, interesting snippets in Scripture, so Ezra 6, the temple is completed, Nehemiah 6, the wall is completed. Ezra 9, there's a giant uh, prayer of confession. Nehemiah 9, there's a giant prayer of confession. I just like when things parallel like this. Um, so in 6, the, the wall is completed. Here we're in chapter 8, after it's completed. And there's some events that are happening. Um, and so we're going to look at this part of the story as the leaders regather, the leaders gather the people together and they recommit themselves to the law of the Lord. So I'm going to read through this. I'm going to give some comments as we go. But this is Nehemiah chapter 8. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their town, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. So just want you to think for a minute how excited you would be of waking up at daybreak. So this is not like a 10 o'clock service start. This is like 5.30 in the morning as day is breaking till noon, standing together in a public space while they're reading Deuteronomy. So next week, (laughs) maybe one day. Um, But just think about that, what's going on? Um, Beside him stands a number of key leaders. I'm not going to read all these names because it's just annoying for you to have to listen to them all. But I just want to point out here, Ezra, the teacher of the law, stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood these key leaders, one of whom is Zechariah, who we've just been looking at. Uh, Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen, or Amen, Amen, because I'm in America. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So I want to take a moment and just highlight some of the action that's going on in this passage. There's a bunch of verbs here. And I think it's easy. In the Western world, we can be quite stoic when it comes to our experience of God. But just for a moment, look what happens. Ezra brings out the book of the law all of the people stand as it's being read. Then all of the people lift their hands in the air in prayer and in response with their amen. And then they all bow down and worship the Lord with their faces on the ground. Now, if we did this, we're going to stand for the reading of the word. We're going to lift our hands when we pray. And then as worship starts, we're all going to get out on the floor. Some people would look as if we're a little crazy, right? But I just want to draw your attention to the fact that when you're looking in Scripture, like their worship and their interaction with God was more than just standing, that their whole bodies are involved in the process. Moving on into verse 7, 
The Levites, and again a bunch of key leaders, instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Again, just want to make a little comment here. This is the job of the the priestly leaders. The Levites are the priests. This is some key leaders within the Levite clan. What was their job? Their job was to read the book of the law and then make it clear for people, communicate in a way that would let the people understand. We live in the New Testament. We're told uh, multiple points in the New Testament, but especially in 1 Peter chapter 2, that we are the priesthood of all believers. So we today, our job looks just like this. It's our job to read this book and then make it clear to the people around us, giving meaning to the text so that they're able to understand what has been read. This is not just an archaic moment where the priests are doing their job. This is all of our job that we're seeing uh, lived out in front of us in this passage. Verse 9, then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep for all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Their hearts are being broken as they see what's there. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have prepared nothing, have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Sorry, I laugh as I read this because I don't know about you. When I read passages in scripture, sometimes the way you emphasize certain words just changes the meaning completely, right? Go and enjoy some choice food and sweet drinks. Or go enjoy some choice food and some sweet drinks, right? <laughs> I'm just like, what? how are they saying this? Um, the key thing I want to highlight here, so they, they've heard the word of God, their hearts have been cut open, the people are grieving because they realize their sin as a nation. I love the response that they're given was not what we're going to do is we're going to take the day off and we're just all going to sit around and be miserable and grieve what's happened and be sorrowful over our sin. You've got the day of atonement for that one. Uh, Go and have a party. Go celebrate. Go get a meal. Get your friends and your family together. Eat food and celebrate. Um, Go get some drinks and rejoice. Find the people that don't have anything. Bring them in. And this is a day. The day is holy. And how are we going to celebrate that today is holy? We're going to party. And in case you're not clear that that's what it says, then all the people went away to eat and to drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. If you read on in the passage, it starts talking about this festival that they then begin to celebrate. And I think it's easy to forget the Jewish feasts and the role they play in the calendars. You've got things like Passover, you've got the Day of Atonement, you've got the Feast of Tabernacles, you've got the Feast of Shelters. So these festivals are happening. We, if, if you think of a festival in our culture, or you think of a feast in our culture, we don't think of a boring religious ceremony where we're going through some kind of liturgy. We typically think of festivals, parties, celebration, uh, enjoyment, and that's what these festivals were for the people of Israel. So the way that God had designed in the calendar was seven set festivals through the year where the people would gather together and party. They would, they would eat food together. They would enjoy one another. They would retell the stories of their history. And in that, they would rejoice in who God was and what he is. 
I feel like in the church today, we've got some work to do to recover the partying spirit of the God that we worship. Now, that doesn't mean we're all going to send you out today to go get drunk. Not that kind of partying. Um, but we got to rediscover sometimes the fun of our faith. I think sometimes we take our faith too seriously. We get kind of dull about it. You don't win people into the presence of our community by saying, hey, you partier, why don't you come on Sunday and sit still and listen to someone talk at you for 30 minutes and, and, and listen to some songs that you don't know? You, you get them in here by saying, hey, my wife and I are having a birthday party. Why don't you come and meet a bunch of my friends that just so happen to be from the church? Uh, it's one of the reasons why we're doing a rise in the park, right? We want to get out there and have some fun in the community so that when people come over and go, this looks like fun, can we join in? We go, yeah, come meet us, be around us, and through this process, we're hoping uh, to meet with you. These places, these feasts in Scripture, there was a lot of work they did in the temple. They'd go offer sacrifices. If you were not of the people of Israel, if you were not a Jewish-born person or someone that had converted to Judaism, you were not allowed into the most important parts of the temple precinct. The feasts were the places where people that didn't know uh, God and weren't part of the Jewish people were able to come in and hear the stories um, of what God was doing. These parties were important to the work that God was doing. I think we as a church, well, I don't know about you, I want to recover the party spirit. Um, And I know historically this church uh, has a reputation for potlucks, and so there's a bit of partying goes on in here that we know about. So I want to, with, with this passage, I want to hone in on a couple of verses. I want to hone in on the one that, that struck me the most. Um, I was struck in Nehemiah 8.6 by the people's response to the word of God being open and read. And as I looked at this, this verse, they bowed down, worshipped the Lord with their faces on the ground. I wanted to picture for a minute the nation of Israel. In a public square in Jerusalem, you may not know what Jerusalem looks like, so just picture downtown Portland, Pioneer Square, picture the front of the courthouse here. And I want you to imagine all these people coming together. So imagine a gathering of all of the churches in Hillsborough outside of the courthouse, and everyone's standing there, and some pastor from the town gets up, and they open up the Bible, and they say, I'm about to read part of the gospel to you. And the entire group gets down on their faces, on the ground, in honor and worship. What do you think that would say to the people around who are watching? We get a little complacent sometimes with the word of God. We love it. We read it. We study it. We debate it. We tear it apart. But I think we've lost that they had that when God's word was spoken, the only reaction that they could have was to bow down on the ground and worship the Lord. There are this contrasting actions. You see in Nehemiah 8.6 here, they hear the word, they bow down, and they worship with faces to the ground. Then there's a few verses happen, and then the end of this part of the story, all the people go away to eat and drink and celebrate. So, so their response to the word of God is to fall on their faces before him, and then they respond to what the leaders had encouraged them to do as they go away and eat and drink and send portions of the food away. So I've separated out these two, these two verbs. So they bow down and they worship. And then all the people went away. And, and what I found myself thinking about a lot of this week was, what does this, first of all, what does this look like in the church today? What would it look like? I'm, I'm not going to ask you to do this. But what would it look like if we said, you know, we're get, when we 
start our service and we open the Bible to read it, we're all gonna get down on our faces in honor of God as, as a symbol of our humility. Um, and then what, what would it look like if we all heard the word and then we went away and our friends and our people that don't know him and we parted together, partied, not parted, and celebrated who he is and what he wants to do. But what I found myself thinking about is what is the transition point between being bowed on the ground before the Lord and going away to have the party that he's called you to do? What's the transition, right? Y'all know what I'm about to say? It's one word, the word arise. I found myself thinking about this. God didn't ask him, get down on your face and stay there forevermore. And he doesn't say, go away and just have parties and that's all you're gonna do for the rest of your life. He sets this pattern in place. It's the pattern that we've been walking since the beginning where we come to him and we worship and then we're sent out into the world to do what he calls us to do. It's why church is structured the way it is. Like we meet one day a week to come together to worship who he is, to go back into normal life, to eat food, to celebrate and party with people. And the transition point in the moment is this word arise. At some point, you have to get up off your face, stand up, and be ready to go and do what it is that God's calling us to do. I want to play for a moment with a couple of Hebrew words. Um, and the words that are in this passage, I mentioned one of these in passing last week. But there are two Hebrew words here in the sentence. It says, they bowed down and they worshipped. So the word for bow down, kadad, is uh, this word that literally means to bow down. So get down on your knees or fall on your face. Um, the second word, shachah, which is the one that was used last week, is a word that means to bow down, to prostrate yourself before someone who is superior to you, or and in homage to God as, as you worship him. So this passage doesn't just say they bowed down and then they worshipped, it, it says they bowed down and then they took the posture of being bowed down and worship. Um, this, this second word, there's a version of it that comes periodically through the Bible. Hebrew has all sorts of crazy grammar, but one of the versions of Hebrew grammar is a construction um, that says to put yourself into a particular position. And quite often when this latter verb is used, it's structured in a way that is saying the people put themselves into the posture where they were bowed down before the Lord. And it's talking about this inner transition of being bowed down. So here you've got this encouragement, worship. These are the two primary words for worship in the Old Testament. Um, uh, well, actually, the next one's the primary one, but... Uh, so here we go. There's, there's a second uh, verb. So the, the main word for worship is this word, shacha. The second primary word for worship in the scripture is this word avad, from which we get the, the term servant. Um, and this one means to serve, to labor, or to work for another person as a subject, or more specifically, to serve God and biblically in Levitical service. So this is our priestly duty, the way we serve. So this is the word when someone is just helping someone else out, doing work in their yard, they would be serving all the way to when the priests are in the temple serving the Lord. This is the word that's being used. But as I was thinking about these words, so shacha and avad being the two primary words for worship in the Bible, one of them means to get down on your face in the presence of God. The other one means to go out there and do your priestly duty. And so these are the two words for worship. There are other words in the Bible for things like praise and for singing songs, but when your Bible says the word worship in the Old Testament, it is one of these two words, either shacha um, or avad. 
And I found myself looking at this this week and thinking the same thing I did with the two verses in the passage. What's the transition point between shacha and avad? How do you get from being bowed on your face in worship to being out doing the work of service that God has called us to do? It's the same word, the word arise. So the whole process that we are in, I, I mean, you've read this multiple places, it's talked about many times, I've mentioned it several times, like our spiritual journey, the best way to think about it is breathing. Like we're called to breathe in the presence of God, we're called to breathe in his work, we're called to come to him and we inhale who he is and then we exhale, we go out into the world and we do the work that he's called us to do. So we come to him and then we go out into the world, we breathe in his presence and then we carry it out and we breathe it out into the world, we take in the person of Christ and we carry the person of Christ into the world. We shaha, we come to him and we bow before him and in that place allow him to transform us and then we avad, we go out into the world to serve and to labor uh, and, and to reveal him to the people round about. Now, if you're gonna get on your face before him and if you're gonna go out and do the work that he calls us to do, in between we're called to arise. What does arise mean? I mean, in English, it's simple. In Greek and Hebrew, it's the same. To get up or stand up. I've put this little extra definition that I want you to think about. The liminal space between being on our knees before God and doing the work that he's called us to do. So what's liminal space? I mean, liminal space is the in-between between two states of being. It's the transition between two different things. Arise is the first action that we're called to do in response to our worship of God. We're called to fall flat on our face before him. The first action, once that moment is over, is to get on our feet in order to respond to what it is that he's asking us to do. And what tends to happen on a Sunday, um, and I'll speak for myself, is you come in, uh, I come in, we go through the worship service, the service is over, I arise, and then I go back into the world like I was before, right? Am, am I the only one that doesn't leave the church and immediately serve the poor and pray and worship and give all their money away? I'm, I, I, I'm the only one, okay. Uh, <laughs> but you know how it is. We get up when we go out and, and, and we don't always live the way that we're intended to be, but we're called to this transition space, this liminal space of, of we come and we worship and then we get up. Now, it's one thing to get up. Why I like the word arise, the word arise is going out of fashion. People have, they've taken the A off the front of it. We don't say anymore, arise, my friend. We say rise, right? Because it's easier. Um, but I like that this word has that little, little bit of archaicness. It has that little bit that kind of catches your attention that produces some intentionality. It's not enough to just get up on your feet and walk out the door. As a church, we wanna be people who arise. We get up off of our faces with the intentionality to go out into the world to avad and do the work that God has called us to do, to love and to serve and to go. We're gonna look at more of different places. Like this passage, the word arise is not specifically in the Nehemiah passage. It's in the silence between the two actions that happen. But for throughout the summer, we want to look at some different passages in Scripture where this word appears and ask the question, if, if this is what this word means in Scripture, then what does that mean for how we live our lives? What does it mean for what we focus on, what we prioritize, um, what we fix our eyes on as we move in and through the world? And so, 
Today, I want you to be thinking about this as, as you leave after worship, as you transition from the worship service into the rest of the week, as you hit that liminal space moment where the person in the room says, oh, we say the prayer and they say, you're now dismissed, go do your thing. I want you to think of that transition threshold moment where you step over the, the, the line of the doors of the church out into the parking lot. What happens next is what happened in here, just one of those things that you allow to happen, it goes in one ear, out the other, it just flows and you, you go back to life as normal. Are you making the decision that I get up out of my seat and I am arising with intentionality to minister to the people that God has placed around me? I'm here to hear your story, to speak truth into your life, to build you up. Are you, as you walk out the door, I am arising to go out into my home to build relationships with my neighbors, to throw a party as an excuse to be around them. To, I mean, July 4th is a great time to throw a party and invite a bunch of people that don't know Jesus together. The Super Bowl is a great chance to bring a bunch of people that don't know Jesus together and have fun and bless them. So what are you going to do today? So this is my invitation. Uh, as we finish today, as we move from this inner posture of bowed on our faces before him, and as we get up to go and do the thing that he's called us to do, what are you going to make of this transitional moment? And are you willing, uh, and it would be an invitation every week that you're here, to, to stand up and say in, in, inside, I am choosing to arise into my calling and to enter the rest of this week with the intentionality of one who is a priest of the Most High God who is called to serve him, who is called to steep in his word and make it known to the world around us. And with that, let me pray. God, you are <laughs> powerful and mighty, all-knowing, ever-present, just and merciful, compassionate and gracious. You're the covenant keeper, the faithful one. You're true, you're holy, you're without fault. And you're the creator. God, we throw out the word creator so easily. You're the one that created everything. But that's something that, that in the Bible brought fear and awe because you made everything with one breath. With one breath, you can destroy everything. God, I think about Job and his friends as you revealed yourself to him and uh, you talked through who you were as a creator, who, who, put the, who stores up the snow and who releases it, who uh, holds the waters back, who causes the things to grow, who releases the lightning. Lord, you are the all-powerful God. And uh, when we realize that, we should fall on our faces before you. Because you're powerful and, and important and uh, awe-inspiring. God, it's so easy to take our intimacy with you for granted. Thank you that you didn't stay the big, scary creator God, but that you reveal yourself as the Father who chooses us and makes us your children and calls us to walk with you. And then thank you that you, uh, as you call us to you, you charge us with some very clear instructions 
to make disciples of all nations, to be witnesses from Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth, to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself, to live such good lives among the people of the world that though they might accuse us of doing wrong, they will see the good deeds that we have and glorify you on the day that you visit. And so God, we need help. We need help to take what you're doing in us and translate it into our lives. We need help to be a church that doesn't just come and sing some songs and listen to a message and then go back to life as normal, but we come, we fall on our faces before you, we open our hearts to be transformed and then we go out into the world as different people. God, I don't ever want to come to church and leave the same. I don't want that for any of us. Every time we walk through these doors, may we leave transformed by the songs that we sing, by the words that we hear, and by the relationships that we build, the love that's felt, may it change us, may it heal us, and send us out into the world to be more effective at what it is that you've called us to do. So God, the world around us is in pain and in suffering. People are dying without you. People are without hope, and we carry the hope of the world. So God, now as we worship you, may we take up that posture. Uh, whether it's physically or internally, may we be on our faces before you. And then God, would you call us to arise and to go to do the work that you've called us to do. We pray in Jesus' name.